Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 39 this morning. Now, last week we looked at 38 and how David was taking his advice that he gave in 37 and growing in 38. And now we come to another section that uh, he's wrestling with some things. In short, he's wrestling with how short his days are, okay, the brevity of life and, and what that means. He was struggling with an illness in 38, questions of what the Lord was doing in his life. And as we saw in, in the prayers, it was a progression of, of growth. Each prayer was a, a, a really a better understanding of what the Lord was doing, uh, mixed in with some complaints in, in between. And uh, frankly, none of us really want to go through sometimes what the Lord has us to go through so that we can get to where he wants us to be or that we can be shaped and molded into the form that he wants us to be so that he can work with us or so that he has... Um, uh, completed to some extent that work in our lives so that we are ready for what he has before us. Okay, I'll pick on Mark and, and nine years ago he wasn't ready to, to do this uh, but he was ready to serve at covenant. Now the Lord has shaped and molded he and his wife and has prepared him for these things. So if you're able would you stand with me and I will read Psalm 39. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, just through the power of your Holy Spirit, enlighten us and inform us what your word has for us today. Make them more than simply pages, words on the pages before us, Lord. Make them your word in our hearts so that we might live them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 39 is for the choir director for Judithan. I don't know who Judithan is. Okay, not, I don't think anybody does, uh, but he obviously was, was someone, because uh, it's listed here, a psalm of David. I said I will guard my ways that I might, may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. I was dumb and silent, I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in thy sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become dumb. I do not open my mouth, because it is thou who hast done it. Remove thy plague from me. Because of the opposition of thy hand, I am perishing. With reproofs thou dost chasten a man for iniquity. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn thy gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart 
and am no more. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You'll notice that at the end of verse 5, and then again at the end of verse 11, in, uh, if you have a pew Bible, or I'm sure in your, your own versions, your own Bible as well, there's the word selah. Selah means to stop, contemplate, consider what you have just heard. So if we were reading this song, if I was reading this for personal devotions, I would read the first five verses and then I would stop. And I would say, in a sense, take a step back and I would reflect on the things that I had just read, the, the words uh, of David and, and what the Lord has for me in those. And then I would continue on and I would get to the end of verse 11. I would contemplate once again. It means to, to, to really to step aside and consider what has just happened, to contemplate. And, and we don't contemplate much in our, in our worlds. Uh, I, I left my phone in, yeah, in, my, uh, in the office and I was just thinking, well, well, how often do I sit and have quiet time or downtime in, in my daily world where I don't pull out my phone and play word warp or, um, you know, what, what's the candy, uh, candy crush. That, why do you know, Bo? <laughs> never, I've never played Or, you know, we, we have games or, or, you know, the thought, gee, I wonder what that is. I don't know it off the top of my head, so I will do what? We'll Google it, okay? And then my phone, I can, I can find out anything in an instant, in a heartbeat. We don't have time to just sit there and, and think about, okay, what have I done today? What did I read today? Uh, how is that going to affect me? Um, what's the process that I can go through to really grasp and understand and to think on a deeper level? Uh, word warp has six letters, and you have to make as many words as you can out of that six letters within two minutes. And, and at one time, I, I know this is, this is very important to you, uh, one time I got to 127,000 points. I mean, I must have been on like 100 levels of that. And, and then I looked, and it was the beginner's level. And I thought, oh, no, no that kind of crushed me. So I went to the Scrabble level. Oh, that, you know, there are words in Scrabble that just don't make sense. They, they have no, no sense. I mean, why do you even, never mind. Amusement. We have things to amuse us on a regular basis. Our phones, the world, there's something always on. The word amusement, the Greek word muse, means to ponder or to contemplate, to consider. When you put an A in front of a Greek word, it negates the word. So amusement is to not contemplate, to take your mind off something, to get away from things. And our world really is full of amusements. Okay? It is full of amusements. There is something to keep us busy all the time. How many of you can remember the last time you sat quietly in a room and nothing went on? Oh, quiet is nice, isn't it? It can be frightening. It can be frightening. I love to go, and I love to go out in the woods, and there's nobody to talk to. You can hear the birds fly over. You know, it is so quiet, and, and there's nothing there but really what's in your heart, and you have to contemplate those things. The world does not like us to contemplate. It doesn't want us to think too deeply, and I don't think it's, it's purposeful. It has just come about. There's just gobs of stuff going on. But as David writes, you need to step back 
and to contemplate some things. And here David is contemplating the brevity of his life. I must consider that I'm just a hand's breath here. I'm just, um, just here and then I am gone. We see this word, this breath is the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes, vanity. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's, we're just breath. We're just mist. We're here and we're gone. So Derek Kidner, who pretty smart guy, writes commentary, says, The burning question of this psalm is why God should so assiduously discipline a creature as fail and as fleeting as man. Lord, I'm just a breath here. Why are you beating up on me? Why are you so interested in forming and shaping me so I can grow to become what you want me to be? I'm just a guy. I mean, remember what Job said. If, look back, if you want to, Job's chapter 7. And let's read this. And in any psalm of of lament, we're almost always going to go back and read out of Job as well. Because Job is lamenting these things. He is saying, I'm struggling with this, Lord. Are you paying attention to me? Um, Now, now remember that both Job and David complain, but they're not defiant to the Lord. They both complain to the Lord. Lord, do you see what you're putting me through? Do you have any understanding of how, how tough this is in my life? How this is just about to crush me? And of course the Lord does. But it's okay to complain to the Lord. But they're not defiant. They're not... Um, oh, they're, they're not yelling at the Lord. You have no right to do this. You have no business to do this. He says, Lord, hear my cry. You have every right to do this. And I have every right to question what is going on. But I'm questioning you because I'm looking for answers from you. Job chapter 7 verse 16. Same type of thing is going on in Job's life here. He says, I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. Job saying, God, go go bless somebody else with struggle. You know, I've had enough here. What is man that thou dost magnify him and that thou art concerned about him? That thou dost examine him every morning and try him every moment. Every morning and every moment. Are you ever out of God's sight? Are you ever out of his care? Are you ever out of of the opportunity to struggle and to grow in the things of the Lord? Job said he wasn't. Will thou never turn thy gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? He says, until I'm dead. He says, why are you so concerned about me, Lord? David knows, back in Psalm 38 or 39, David understands that he has to be careful where and to whom he voices his complaint. If he were to say some of these things in the earshot of non-believers, they wouldn't understand them. Okay? It's the same type of thing that there are, there are certain things that you can talk about to more mature believers that... Less mature believers are not ready to hear. They're not ready to grasp. Well, non-believers are not ready to understand how it is or why it is that David can in all confidence cry out to God about these things and to raise these questions with the Lord. He's concerned, and he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it in the the presence of any unbelievers lest lest that bring shame upon the Lord by their attitude of what he hears. He wants to go right to the Lord and say, Lord, what is going on here? 
You are my only hope. I have come. I, I want to learn from you. I want to grow in you. But I understand that life is transient. And if life is transient, that means life is short and it is fleeting here on this world. David says, so I must learn to live every day for you. So help me to do that. Well, David feels compelled to, uh, to speak here. And, and, and really the... Uh, um, the first couple verses explain the, the circumstances of the, of the psalm, uh, the brevity of life here. And he is coming to the Lord. He's unburdening himself. He's seeking wisdom. He wants, uh, you know, Lord, can't you, can't you communicate to me? Can't you tell me what is going on here? And he says, life is short. Verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. What is the extent of my days? Lord, I am transient, but you have a plan for me. What is the extent of my days? He's not just interested in how long he's going to live. He wants to know what the Lord has for him in that transient time, in that time of brevity, in that short time that he is here in this world. He wants to understand the shortness of life. He wants to understand the uncertainty of life. So instead of it being a a, a question in his mind, instead of it perplexing him, he can dive in and do what the Lord has for him. Remember Psalm 90. Teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. If I understand my days, if I understand why the Lord has me here for this brief time, then I can begin to get a heart of wisdom. A short life is something that is given to David by God, he says, you've made me just a hand's breath, but it is a purposeful life as well. And then as I said, the, the Selah at the end, contemplate, muse upon this. Okay, Think of the brevity of life. Shakespeare's Macbeth, this will take you back to high school and, and, and the days you had to read Shakespeare. He gives a speech that's full of despair. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean... Think of that, and then think of the words that David writes. It, it, it sounds, just sounds so hopeless uh, from, from Shakespeare's pen and, and Macbeth's mouth here. And then you have David. He says, I'm struggling to understand what you're doing. My life is brief, but I will trust in you. But I will trust in you. David understands the brevity of life is not an accident. It is by design. It is by design. So why should we be so concerned about this? Philippians chapter 4 says I should do what? Pray about everything and be anxious about nothing. Now how many of you can do that? Uh, now there's a difference. It doesn't mean don't contemplate anything. 
But don't be anxious for it. Don't be so consumed with anxiety about something that you've already prayed for. You, you pray about that, yes, I can, be, I can think about it and, and have it in my mind, but it should not consume me. Why? Because I have trusted it into the hand of the Lord. Now, he expects you to act. He expects you to, to continue and do what you're supposed to do, not just say, well, I've prayed about it and I, don't, you know, I can go off and do whatever I want now because the Lord's going to handle it. Well, Lord, it gives you a responsibility as well, but it should not consume us with anxiety if we have trusted it into the hand of the Lord. So let's look at verse 5. David says, Life is transient. Behold, thou hast made my days as handbreadths. My lifetime has nothing in thy sight. Surely every man at his breath, at his best, is a mere breath. And as I said, that's the same word that we find in Ecclesiastes. It's used 30, 40 times in Ecclesiastes. It refers to that which has no substance. Breath. That which has no substance. That which is transitory. That which is frail. Uh, the Greek equivalent would be if you were at the beach and you built a house out of sand at the beach. Okay, not just building your house on the sand, as Jesus talks about, but building a house out of sand at the beach. It's just not going to last. It's not going to last very long at all. It's the same word that's used for chasing the wind or shooting at the stars or pursuing a shadow. Uh, James talks about the same thing in chapter 4. We won't turn there, but he talks about the same type of thing there. So David says there are two, two issues with this uh, life is transitory. Life is transitory in light of eternity. David compares his life in God to eternity. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths. My lifetime as nothing in your sight. You know, when you're young, you think you can never die. That's why they make Marines out of 18-year-olds, okay? They don't make Marines out of 50-year-olds, okay? Because we're pretty sure we're going to die someday, um, but when you're young, when you, you look way down the road, 70, 80, 90 seems so far away. Death seems so removed from you. But as you get older, you begin to contemplate those things. And hopefully, as we get older, we're not just contemplating death, but we're contemplating heaven more. Okay, that our eyes become more fixed upon heaven and upon the glories that await for us there. David has these kind of thoughts. He's beginning to contemplate this. And he wrote in Psalm 8, remember, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? So David is contemplating this transient view of life relative to eternity. And he's also contemplating this transient view of life relative to death. Because it's death and taxes. Those are the sure things that are going to happen. Uh, everybody is going to die. Verse 6. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Okay, They have all this activity going on. All these things. We're gathering these riches. But, but how much are you going to leave when you die? Everything. You're going to leave all of it, okay? What are you going to take with you? You're going to take with you those things which you have invested in relative to the Lord. Those are the things. What have you done to serve him? Now, you may leave a lot to those people behind you. You might leave material things or you might leave a legacy of faith that they want to follow, want to walk in your footsteps as well. 
But death will come sooner or later. There's no getting away from it. There's a legend told about uh, uh, a merchant in Baghdad, and he had a servant. And uh, the, the merchant sends his servant into the market. And, and the servant comes around the corner, and there stands before him Lady Death. It, it's kind of a Middle East thing, so it's Lady Death. And he is so shocked, and he, he, he runs away and goes back to his master, the, the, the merchant, and says, I have to get to Samaria as fast as I can. Give me your fast horse so I may get there. And, and the merchant goes, well, okay. So the servant gets on the horse and rides off to Samaria. And the merchant then goes to the market because he's got to get the stuff that he was supposed to, the servant was supposed to have. And as he walks through the market, he meets Lady Death. And he says, he says I, I, you know, I just... My servant, what are you doing here? My servant just, just ran away and, and said he was shocked to see you. And Lady Death said, well, I was shocked to see him because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. <laughs> see, you, you, you can't escape it. Even in legend, you can't escape. We know that it is coming. So let's contemplate who we are and what the Lord has for us today. Because here we are. All right. Three things David has for us that we need to look at. To live for the Lord means that I put all my hope in the Lord. To live for the Lord means that I put all my hope in the Lord. Verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? That's the question. What do I wait? My hope is in you. The solution to being enamored with the world, the solution to have your heart focused upon the Lord is to be upon the world is to become enamored with the Lord okay oh I'm in love with the world you better fall in love with the Lord okay when he becomes your delight when he becomes the object of your love then those former things that you loved will fade away you will find not you will find that they don't hold the same draw in your life when you have fallen in love with with the Lord. It's not a problem of the pursuit of pleasure. It's the problem of the pursuit of the wrong pleasure. You must pursue the pleasures of the Lord. God is the one in whom we find our fulfillment, in whom we find our joy, in whom we can rest. So number two, to live for the Lord means that I must make holiness my desire. Now this is not the desire of our natural heart. Our natural hearts do not desire holiness because holiness is, is otherness. It is hard to do. It is the pursuit of the things of God. In our natural state, I just want to pursue the things of Randy. Okay, I like those things better. But when the Lord comes and changes our hearts, we know from, from Paul's writing in Romans, we are no longer slaves to sin. Yeah, sin still remains in our lives, but it's not the ruling aspect of our life any longer. Christ has set us free. So now we, are, can, be, we can be slaves to righteousness. But you have to desire that. You have to pursue it. It will not come to you as you sit in your easy boy chair and do nothing. You must pursue it. You must fill your mind with the things of Christ. You must study the word. You must fellowship. You must worship. It must be the desire of our hearts. So we have to make holiness a desire. David does it in two parts. He says, I want to make the pursuit of holiness in my speech and in my behavior. Now, what comes out of here first starts where? 
in the heart. In the heart. Oh, so uh, uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Oh, they look good on the outside, but inside they were dead. Okay? If you're dead in here, it will come out here sooner or later. It will be demonstrated not only in your words, but in your actions as well. James is very clear about that. Okay? He equates the tongue with what part of the ship? The rudder. You know, the rudder is relatively small, but it steers the ship. And if any man can control his tongue, he demonstrates control of the rest of his body. How many of us had said something and, and we're trying to reach out and pull it back in? You know, no, no, come back. I, I didn't mean to say that. Well, you, Freud said, yes, you did mean to say it. Okay? Because you did say it. So it came out and that's what you meant. Oh. Muzzle our mouths some days. Right? Better sometimes just not to say anything. If somebody goes, well, what do you think? I'm, oh, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm contemplating. Because you're, you're in danger of saying something that's going to be hurtful, that doesn't need to be said. I mean, so, the truth may be hurtful. How you say it is important. How you say it is important. David says, I want to pursue holiness in my speech. And now it says, uh, that's the first, really, the first section. And then in verse 8, he says, I want to pursue holiness in my behavior. I want to be rid of all transgressions. Verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. I want to get rid of all those things in my lives. I want to make sure that when people look at me, they see you, Heavenly Father. Not that they see me, not that they are fixated on my sins and my transgressions. I want to get rid of those so that I demonstrate the things of you. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus kind of lays this out for us. From within, out of the heart of men, perceive the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from the heart. They come out of our mouths. They come from the works of our hands. We have to change the heart. Once the heart is right, then there's hope for everything else. The third thing that David points out to us in, in this last section, verse 9 to, to the end, is that to live for the Lord means that I have to submit to his hand of discipline. Hebrews says the father who loves his child does what? Disciplines them. The child without discipline is a child without love. And, and dads, how many of us, moms, on your own, dads, how many of us have thought, oh, I don't want to do this, this is going to... Or maybe it was, we've said it, or it was said to us, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And the kids never believed it, okay? But it, it, it breaks our hearts to do these things, but yet it is a demonstration of love. Your child walks around with a paper clip. And their favorite thing is to jam the paper clip in the outlet. Okay? <laughs> Somebody's been there. Oh, no, you go right ahead. I don't want to squelch your creativity by keeping you safe. You don't let them stick it in the, in the outlet. Why? Because it's dangerous. That's why we discipline. The same thing for the Lord. He disciplines us because he loves us, and we must willingly submit ourselves to that discipline. God uses trials to show us our lack of holiness. Trials should cause us to examine ourselves, to see what God is trying to teach us. I mean, David is, is here. He's, he's wrestling with that. Look at verse 11. 
He says, with reproofs, thou dost chasten a man for iniquity. Lord, why did you do this to me? Well, stupid head, you went and did what I told you not to. Okay, so what did you think was going to happen? I love you, so I'm going to reprove you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to discipline you. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. That sounds cruel. These things are precious to me, Lord. Why are you taking them away from me? Well, the issue is we're counting the wrong things as precious. Okay? The things that are precious ought to be those to us, ought to be those things which are precious to the Lord. So in the Lord's correcting, in his reproving us, in his disciplining us, sometimes he takes away those things which are precious to us, but not precious to him. Not precious to him. But why does God even bother with us? We are creatures of a day. He is a creature of eternity. But yet, we are made in his likeness and in his image. We are very, very important to him. He has made us for his glory. He has made us for a particular purpose. And our lives and all that goes on is a reflection of what he does in our lives. Why does the commandment say thou shalt not commit murder? Because to kill another person that's premeditated murder, to kill another person is to destroy the image of God that is existent within them. That's why we don't commit murder. Not because it's not nice, but because it destroys the image of God in that person. Why is it that sexuality is reserved for the marriage bed between a husband and wife? And no place else is it spoken of as good, any place else. Because that relationship, in the Old Testament, we see God is the husband, Israel is the wife. We see Christ as the groom, we see the church as the bride. Those things are sacred. Okay? They are a reflection of who he is. All of our lives are to be lived for his glory. Now I'll come down to the last two verses. David says, hear my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my cry. Remember, it's prayer. Hear my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. This is a progression of sorrow in his life. I'm praying. I'm crying out to you, Lord, my heart. I'm just pouring out my tears to you. For I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. David realizes here that he is just passing through. Like all of us. I mean, we're, we're a pilgrim. We have a destination, and that is heaven. And we are on a pilgrimage that takes us through this world. Paul teaches this to the Philippians in particular. He said, we're on the way to where God has for us. And he says, just like my fathers. Remember, Abraham was pro- he said, this is the promised land. This is for you. Did Abraham ever own any of that promised land? Nope. He had to actually buy a place so he could bury Sarah. But that promised land was still promised according to God's character and God's word. He says, I'm just a sojourner here. Turn thy gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. David says, Lord, I'm kind of getting the message here that you're working on me. And it's okay to call out to the Lord and say, I need, you know, 
give me a break. <laughs> Let me have some rest here. But it is in those times when we're calling out to the Lord and seeking rest and seeking his mercy that he does give us those things. Now it may be in a continued struggle. It may be in continued trial. But David knows where to cry out to. Our lives are not trifles. They are short. They are breath. But they are not trifles. They are not insignificant. Because the Lord numbers our days. He knows when we were created, when we will die. We have never been out of the mind of God. Now think about that for a moment. You had a beginning to your existence. In your mother's womb, that's when you began to exist as a person. But you have been in the mind of God from all time. Because he is not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He's not bound in the way our minds are. You have been his from before the foundations of the earth were laid. This is the love of God toward we who are mere breaths. Let's pray. What is man that you are mindful of him, Lord? Not only are you mindful of us, Not only have you numbered our days, not only have you numbered the hairs on our heads, not only do you know the words before they come from our lips, when we are thinking them in our hearts, you are aware of them. Not only do you know where we will be, what we will be doing, you order our path, you go before us, you stand behind us, you are above us and below us on either side of us, we are never out of your care, never out of your hand. You discipline us because you love us. And then you say, it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay that your heart would cry out to me to ask me and to to raise these issues and want to know what I am doing. For Lord, you are the one who tries us, but you are the one who sustains us. You are the one who will take what is precious to us from us And replace it with what is precious to you. Make us mindful of these things, Lord. Make us mindful, most importantly, of this grace that you give us in the midst of all of these trials and circumstances. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.